Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, it's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and uh, it's good to have you all here. Those of you watching at home alive, um, those who will watch this later on in the week or maybe months to follow, I have mixed emotions this morning because of, as Pastor Charlie mentioned, that we have uh, another church plant today. It's my son Dylan who's planting it. And uh, I don't know if you as a parent, if what it feels like, some of you know what it feels like to see your, your son kind of walk in your footsteps, but to know all the fear and the faith that goes along in what he's doing. Because I did the same thing 29 years ago with this church, started it from scratch. And I remember the pressure, I remember those things. And so I would ask you to just pray for Dylan and all of them to start a church in the middle of a pandemic. That's crazy. But because with so many people not wanting to go into public places. But, you know, just keep praying <clears throat> because now they're going to start plugging along and today's the opening Sunday. So praise the Lord. Amen to that one. <clears throat> um. I started this series, by the way, I, today's message is going to be a little different than normal for an Easter, um, because this whole series has been different for me. I started with, um, it's called the Easter Anthology, if you're just joining us, and I began about three, four weeks ago with the idea that <clears throat> if there is a resurrection, there must be miracles. If there's miracles, there must be a God. No God, therefore no miracles, therefore no resurrection. In other words, I had to talk about that to get to here today. And that first Sunday, if you remember, I, I just looked into what scientists say, what they've discovered about the creation of the universe. I didn't look, do anything Christian except to read that, the, a few verses from the Bible about that God created the heavens and the earth. And science says to us that if you could play back the, the universe back to the moment of inception, it would not be reduced down to a, a basketball or a bowling ball or a ping pong ball or a pinhead, but it would be reduced to nothing. Nothing. So how do you get something from nothing? And they, many of them admit something had to have kick-started this whole universe because this is a space-time-matter universe. So therefore, whatever began this thing was spaceless, timeless, immaterial, but supernatural in power. We Christians call that God. And so I began there to show the evidence from science, not from the Bible, that, that something created this universe. Something started it, made it out of nothing. Now, from there, now I can say, as a follower of Christ, that now we can have miracles, because I believe that means there's a God, and therefore, for miracles, I can have resurrection. So today, I'm going to talk about why I believe in the resurrection. Now, I'm not going to say it, when I use the word believe, do not mistakenly think that I'm saying it's a blind faith. It is not. I'm going to talk to you the way I understand it. We have, by the way, followers of Christ... We do not have a blind faith, just say, well, you just got to believe it. No, ours is an evidence-based faith, based on eyewitnesses. Any amens of that one? And I'm going to share with you that today, as I move along in this message, why I believe in the resurrection. So I'm going to go in Mark chapter 16. I'm going to give you a short version of the resurrection out of Mark, verses 1 through 6. There's much more in that, book, in that gospel. There's more in the other gospels. There's more in the New Testament. And so, <clears throat> but I'm going to condense it so I can get to what I want to talk about today within that resurrection idea. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through 6 says this. 
When the Sabbath was over, that's their Saturday. Mary Magdalene, the mother, and, and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. They're coming because they don't believe Jesus has resurrected. They think he's dead in the tomb. So they're bringing more spices just to put more fragrance on him so his decomposing body won't smell up the place. That's what they're coming for, guys. Verse 2. Very early on the first day, which Sunday for them, <clears throat> of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? See, they don't believe the tomb's empty. They think, we got to find somebody to roll that stone away. It weighs at least 2,000 pounds. Looking up, verse 4, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Now, the word rolled up there, those words that Mark uses, in the Greek they mean rolled uphill. Because when they would roll the stone into place, there was a groove in the front, and it would follow like this little track as a stone rolled down into place. Somebody rolled that 2,000 plus pound stone back uphill again, is what Mark is saying. Wild, huh? Verse 5, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. Verse 6, and he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. Nazarene because Jesus grew up in Nazareth, the city there. Who has been crucified. He has risen. <clears throat> he is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Now, I'm going to stop there and I want to get into this. Someone once said to me, I cannot believe that anyone could ever rise from the dead. Well, that, you know, that's a real statement because as a Christian, I don't believe that just anyone rose from the dead. I believe a God-man rose from the dead. And never forget that part of the story. <clears throat> but as a follower of Christ, um, and I always use the word follower of Christ because anybody can say they're a Christian. But a follower of Christ denotes a follower. Jesus always told people, follow me, follow me. In other words, you're going to walk after Christ. He's a shot caller. You're going to live the way he says to live. Any amens on that? Um, but as a follower of Christ, your faith and my faith rests on one thing and one thing only, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not on whether you can prove Noah's flood, or if they find the ark. Not on whether you can prove the Red Sea parted. No, my faith doesn't rest on that. My faith rests on one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything rests on that for you and I. For Paul, New Testament writer says, if there's no resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. So when they say to me, I just don't believe anyone could rise from the dead, that leads to another question in my mind. Is there any evidence of a resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is there any historical evidence that that tomb was actually empty the way these writers are saying? So with that said, I this morning am not talking to you followers of Christ, you people who are Christians. Maybe it's going to shore up your faith, give you more of an ability to stand firm and reason with people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's not my primary audience today, though you will learn something. My primary audience today are the skeptics, the atheists, those who are like, I'm not sure about this thing. And I'm cool with you being here. And you can keep coming here. I'm fine. You can stay a skeptic, stay an atheist, keep coming. We teach things just to help you in life too from the Bible. 
That's where I'm going for. Now, <clears throat> I will tell you up front that what I'm going to share today is, uh, is something that is granted by 90-something percent of all the evangelical, skeptical, and atheist New Testament scholars. 90-some percent agree on these things historically, okay? And I use the word historically because I'm going to make a statement now because the skeptic and atheist scholars, they say, they will say it like this, that they believe that the disciples and Paul believed that they saw resurrected Jesus. Though the skeptic and atheist doesn't believe Jesus really appeared to them, they just believe that Paul and the disciples believed they saw Jesus resurrected. We as followers of Christ believe that they did see the actual Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Now, I am not going to go into the bloggers because the bloggers don't know. Do not trust the bloggers. They're not the scholars. They have not been studying this for 30 and 40 and 50 years, doing all the historical background. Don't, don't trust it at all. How many know that you can't even trust much on social media anyway? And if you, that's your source of information, I feel for you. Okay, friend? Because it's already been proven by studies by major colleges that there is so much misinformation out there and people tend to believe misinformation and then they'll copy it and shoot it out to other people. People love misinformation. They just do. I'm not going there because I don't waste my time with that kind of stuff personally. Now, let me begin with this statement right here by one of the foremost atheists in the world. His name is Richard Dawkins, an atheist. He says this, when a person suffers from a delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. Think of what he just said. He's one of the foremost atheists in the world. And what he's saying is, Jim Del Campo and any other follower of Christ, you're suffering from a delusion. You're delusionary to think that a man rose from the dead. That's a delusion in your head. So I have to ask myself, is it a delusion? Am I just believing something that's not real? Or is there evidence for this thing historically? And like I said, I'm going to just base this on evangelical, skeptic, and, and atheist New Testament scholars. Ninety-some percent agree on this stuff. These are the top guns in the world on this stuff. <clears throat> I'm going to give you what's called the minimal facts approach. Um, I didn't invent it. Somebody invented this. And these are the minimal things they all agree on. I can't give you all of them. There's not a lot of them. But I'm going to give you four of them. I can't even go very deep and wide on that because of the time allotted today because I know you have lunch and you're going to go find that golden egg after service. I'm going to beat your kids to it, by the way. <clears throat> but these are the facts. These are the facts, historically. Now, minimal fact number one, and that's this. The disciples believed Jesus rose and appeared to them. Okay, let me begin. Let me back up a bit uh, for this one in particular. The disciples believed Jesus rose and appeared to them. Minimal fact number one. <clears throat> People would say, oh, Jesus didn't exist. Oh, no, he didn't go to, there's no Jesus, no cross, no nothing. Now stop. Outside of the Bible world, outside of the Christian world, the historians from back then, Josephus, the Jewish historian, Tacitus, the Roman historian, the Jewish Talmud, all state that Jesus did exist, there was an empty tomb. The disciples believed he rose. It states all these things. So Jesus is a real person. He really did go to a cross. Now, Bart Ehrman, the foremost, foremost skeptic New Testament scholar, Duke University in America, he states 
to the bloggers in one of his books, would you stop saying that Jesus didn't exist? Would you stop saying that he wasn't crucified? It's a fact. It happened. Stop saying these things. This is a skeptic, guys, foremost in America. Now, some people say that Jesus in, on that cross didn't die. That he survived the crucifixion. And they took him down, put him in a tomb, and then, of course, that's how they got him out later. He survived it. Now, that would have flown, semi-flown, about 50 years ago. But not anymore. You know why? Because more they study these things, and more they find out about what crucifixion entailed, it's an impossibility. There's no way. There's no way a man can survive that. And even if a man did like Jesus... He would have been laid up in the hospital for six months. Not a hospital of 2,000 years ago, but a hospital of today. There's no way three days later he's going to get up and go, Here I am, guys. He would have been laying down, intravenous everywhere. He would have been all bandaged up. There's no way. There's no way he survived it. He died. Now, here's the issue of minimal facts number one. The disciples believed Jesus rose and appeared to them. Before the resurrection, when Jesus is taken and he's crucified, the disciples, there's 11 of them left, they were terrified. They were scared. They went into hiding because they thought they were going to be next. There was no gutsy, bold, there was none of those kind whatsoever. They were fearful, terrified of what is coming now. When the women tell the disciples that the tomb is empty that Sunday morning and that Jesus is risen, John and Peter run to the tomb. And if you read the Greek of it and what they're saying, John is the one who really did believe. Peter's still on the edge on that one because they did not believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Thomas, another disciple, he says, I won't even believe it unless I see it with my own eyes. I'm not going to believe this stuff. They didn't believe. In other words, nobody believed that there would be no body in that tomb. None of them did. None of them did. And these fearful, terrified, abandoning of Jesus' disciples, all of a sudden, changed. They became bold. They started proclaiming the gospel. They went out there in the midst of persecution, suffering, torture. Some of them died a martyr's death. And they never stopped. What changed them? What was it? Paul, a New Testament writer who we'll talk about next, he says that Jesus appeared to them. We find in the Gospels, Jesus appeared to them. Oh, okay, Jim, the Gospel. See, that's bias. Because, you know, the Gospel, of course, they're going to write bias. Like, none of history is bias, right? It's all bias. If you won't go with that, without that, then you're going to read anything in history. Now, here's the deal. Okay, if it was just bias on the disciples in the Gospels, I'm going to take you outside the Gospels. I'll take you someplace where we're going to validate what was being said there. And that's minimal fact number two, and that is this. That Paul, a persecutor of the church, was suddenly changed. Now, I've talked to you so much on Paul, off and on, because I want you to get it. Here's the thing. What made a persecuting, hating murderer of Christians suddenly change and become a Christian. Guy was an enemy of Christians, enemy of the church. Do not discount this man because he's outside the Gospels. He's outside there. And this man, do not discount him. He writes 13 New Testament letters after he becomes a Christian. 
This guy who murdered Christians, job was murder them, kill them. That's what he did. Then he becomes a Christian, suddenly changed. And even your skeptic and atheist New Testament scholars will accept six of his New Testament letters, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians. They'll accept that as historically correct. They'll accept it. And so never think that you can't use your Bible against an atheist because those are accepted by the major scholars in the world. And they love Paul because here's the thing about Paul. He was an educated man. He was a scholar. He did live. His life did change. Something did happen. He did believe he saw the resurrected Jesus because he himself writes in 1 Corinthians, New Testament letter, that last of all, Jesus appeared to me. I saw him with my own eyes. And that's what changed him. He saw him. He saw him. He saw him. He was an eyewitness. Oh, there he is. See, that's another thing, Christians, I don't agree with you on. Because you see, there are a lot of religious people, fanatical religious people, because of their belief in something, they'll, they'll die, they'll strap a bomb to their body, and they'll die over stuff. See, that's, that's why I don't like it either. Stop. Let me answer that. <clears throat> These guys didn't die for what they believed. They died because of what they saw. They are eyewitnesses. That's the best thing in a courtroom, eyewitnesses. Also, when you see, and this troubles me too, it embarrasses me when somebody goes and does something dumb, you know, out there, and they say they're a Christian for God. I, I really doubt that, but the news media loves to play that up. You know, oh, we found a crazy Christian who did something. Well, great. Um, remember that night in Gethsemane, New Testament, when Jesus is going to be arrested, and Peter pulls out the sword, slices off a guy's ear. Jesus tells him, Peter, put away the sword. Those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. What's Jesus saying? We are not into terrorism. We are not into crazy acts. We're not into doing these kind of things. God, Jesus, God in the flesh, New Testament, is not about radical terrorism. Never equate that with true faith in Jesus Christ. Any amens on that? Minimal fact number three, I love this one. James, the brother of Jesus, suddenly changes. Now he's another one that suddenly changes. And Jesus had brothers and sisters. Did you know that? His mother, Mary, had kids after Jesus was born. Don't listen to other things. Read your New Testament. It's right in there. Now, I'd love to ask this question. I'm going to ask a question before a question. How many of you have a brother? Raise your hand. An actual sibling, brother? brother? Raise it. I want to see. Okay, good. Question. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is Messiah, God in the flesh? <laughs> right? Well, not my brothers. <laughs> no way. <clears throat> no matter how nice your brother is, you're not going to say, I think he's the Messiah. You're not going to do that. But at some point, James, the brother of Jesus, believes his brother Jesus is the Messiah God in the flesh. And Paul even writes, Paul, who he said in Minimal Facts 2, in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to James. Isn't that something? And did you know in the Gospel of New Testament that there was a moment in time when James and his brothers and sisters, mom, they came to get their brother Jesus because they thought their brother Jesus was insane. Did you know that? This guy, our brother's lost it. He thinks he's the God in the flesh, the Messiah we got to go corral this guy in. And so they went to get him. Now, until they saw the resurrected Jesus, and James sees him, suddenly changes. I got, here, here's what I love. Here's what I love. What do you think that first conversation was like? 
When James sees his brother Jesus resurrected, he's not insane. What do you think when James, uh, 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 what do you think Jesus first said? I think it said something like this. I think Jesus would have told James, bro, it's me. <laughs> and Josephus, the Jewish historian, not a Christian, he writes that this James was martyred for his faith. This James, who became the head of the church of Jerusalem, that he was stoned to death for his faith in his brother Jesus, who he acknowledged as the resurrected, risen Christ. Isn't that something? So this is a historical fact, guys. You cannot argue these things. Minimal fact number four, and I like this one too, the testimony of women. Now, why is this important? Well, let me tell you why. The women were the first ones on the scene that Sunday morning, and they were just coming, remember, to bring spices to keep the smell of his decaying body from spreading now in that day culturally not biblically that's where you got to separate the two because the news media and everybody else they love to take culture and then think it's bible and make Christians sound really bad and they're completely wrong they just need to read it okay in that culture in the Jewish and Roman culture in that day a woman's testimony in court was considered questionable one of them even said it was like the testimony of a robber. That's something. That they would never have used a woman's testimony. So, <clears throat> when the women come to the disciples and say, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, because they went to the tomb, the disciples t- say it appeared to the disciples as nonsense. You know what the word nonsense means? That they're delirious. These women are delirious. This, is, this can't be so. We can't trust them. So stop. Let's think about it now. Here's going to think logically. You're one of the 11 disciples. And uh, Jesus is dead. But we've got to figure out a way to kickstart this phony baloney movement. How are we going to do that? Hmm. I know, someone says, let's, let's say that the women are the first ones to see him and let, there be the, let women's testimony be the first testimony. Would it have ever got off the ground? No way. Because they didn't trust a woman's testimony. There's no way these disciples would have come up with that plan. Because they know no one's going to believe that. And yet we find that in the four Gospels, which were written in different parts of the Mediterranean, they didn't confer with each other, they all write the same thing. The women were the first to the tomb that day, they were the first eyewitnesses. And let me tell you something about that. Read your scriptures, you find that you separate Bible from culture, that when they say, oh, the Bible's against women, no, it's not. It always elevates women to equal status with men. Always, always has. You just got to read it. It's all been there, but they always distort it because the Bible's the most attacked book on the planet. Any amens on that one? Huh? Now, when they, when the writing, when the historians, when they read this, that the women were first testifiers, knowing that their testimony was questionable in, 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 in Roman and Jewish thinking, they call that the principle of embarrassment. In other words, if that's what was written, and we know you wouldn't have started it off that way because it wouldn't have made sense, then it probably has to be true. Because otherwise you would have never did this, done it, written it that way because it, wouldn't, it would have never got off the ground. That's the fourth minimal fact. Now let me give you one of mine that I like, not a minimal fact questions every answer is Jerusalem so I'm giving you the answers 
So when I ask you the question, say Jerusalem, okay? Let's practice. Okay, good, you're so smart. What city was Jesus crucified in? Good. What city was he buried in the tomb in? What city did he rise from the dead in? What city was the church birthed in? That's right. Now stop and think about that. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if it was just a scam, a hoax, and this church's birth on Pentecost, 3,000 people come to Christ that day, the, the, the religious leaders of Jerusalem wanting to squash this thing to show that it was a hoax and Jerusalem is not that big of a place what's the one thing the only thing they needed to do to squash the whole thing go to the tomb everybody knows which tomb it is because Joseph Arimathea is a well known rich man go to the tomb roll the stone get the dead body parade it around and show everybody he didn't rise from the dead look here's his dead body they would have done that but they didn't logically that tomb was empty that's just a logical statement you would have never gotten a hoax off the ground in the very city where he didn't rise from the dead he rose from the dead right there now let me give you another fact it's a personal one um, I, I, I became a follower of Christ at age 23 I didn't want to be I thought you Christians were the craziest pre people. I didn't want to be you. I didn't want to be like you. I thought you were going to ruin all my life, my fun and everything. And then you guys keep trying to, you're on me all the time. My family members. I remember one time I was cruising Whittier Boulevard. I got off the car because, you know, I used to be cool. <laughs> How many of you know when you become a parent, get older, you're not cool anymore, according to your kids? Remember, I was standing there, this young, sweet girl, I mean, sweet. She's talking about Jesus. She comes up, to, and you know, I just walk away. Then she walks up to me. A few minutes later, she's, and she says it like this, so, so, so nice. You know you're going to hell, huh? <laughs> and in my cold heart of hearts, I looked at her and I said, well, that's the brakes, huh? I mean, I was a cold, mean person. I don't want anything to do with you people. Nothing. And then on August 12, 1979, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Never thought I'd be a preacher. And my life changed in a moment. Some of you know what that feels like, huh? This is the one thing that I cannot translate to those of you that are not followers of Christ, that your life changes in a moment, the way you look at things. And then you begin to read this New Testament and your, your mind begins to transform. And so God takes this broken, wounded shell of a person that I was and don't act like you're not broken. And he begins to rebuild me. And for the last 42 years, he's been rebuilding me. And I found deep joy and peace, purpose and reason. For those of you who think that science answers everything, science can't tell you why you're here and what your purpose is. Only God can. I found this statement by a blogging atheist. It's the only statement I'll read by a blogger. It's an atheist. But I find it fascinating. 
He wrote it mockingly. He said, Christianity is the belief that a God created a universe 13 billion years old. 93 billion light years in diameter. Consisting of over 200 billion galaxies. Each containing an average of over 200 billion stars. And then he finishes mocking me by saying this. Only to have a relationship with you? I read that and I thought, yeah. Yeah. Because he loves me and he loves you. He's created this whole thing for us. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? And the question is today is about eternity. Where are you going to spend your eternity? Let me add one more thing that fascinates me too. People can say, and they do say this, that we evolved from a single organism. A single, we just evolved from a single organism. The complexity of who really, they say that. But then they turn around and find it impossible to believe that a God-man rose from a single tomb? I find it easier to believe that a God-man rose from a single tomb than that we evolved from a single little organism. But it's a question of your eternity. See, Jesus Christ came. He really was here. He really was crucified. He really does love you. He really created all things for you. He really did go to a cross. He really did shed his blood. The evidence is in. It's a historical fact. And he did that to save you from yourself, to save me, you and I, from our sins, to forgive them. But you've got to put your faith in him. You've got to put your faith in the God-man, Jesus Christ. You've got to do it. And then once you put your faith in him, you begin to walk in these words in this New Testament here. Read that. Stay in there for a couple of years. And watch what God does. Because you see, Christianity is not about self-improvement because that doesn't work. Christianity is about self-replacement. God, the Spirit of God, comes to live in you. That's what it's about, friends. Religion can't save you because religion is man's way of trying to work to God. Never work because you can never do enough good works to try to reach God because you're still a sinner like me. So God had to come down to you and I. It's called grace. And that's what he did. Here comes the God-man who created all things, who creates all of us, and he comes to us to save us. The question is, will you put your faith in him? Will you put your faith in him? I gave you the evidence, historical evidence of it. Mine's not a blind faith, neither is yours. It's, it's based on historical evidence. But are you going to give him your life and follow him? And not be like the people I just, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Where's the evidence? Oh, there is none. No, be a real one. Be a real one. We're going to sing a song right now. It's another New Beginnings original. In the middle of the song, there's going to be a prayer. Pastor Michael is going to lead you or show you at that moment if you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life where you're going to repeat that prayer when you do please believe it. just put your faith in Jesus and you believe it as you say it and, I, and if you do there, that's the game changer everything transforms everything changes in that moment I said the prayer 42 years ago and I hope you do today whether at home later this week watching this somebody turns you on to it a month from now or in this place live right now so I'm going to pray and the band's going to come out and they're going to lead us in this song. So let's, let's all pray. God, we're grateful that you rose from the dead for us.
to give us life. The historical evidence is there, and there's way more historical evidence that you really did exist, you really were crucified, the tomb was empty, the eyewitnesses saw you resurrected. And I just pray that people would put their faith in you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up with me, everybody. As best you can, sing that song along. Let's worship. And then in the middle, Pastor Michael is going to lead those of you who want to put your faith in Christ for the first time or you dedicate your life. He'll take you to that spot.
we say thank you Lord lay down your Testament, get one if you don't have one. Get around Christians, start coming to church, start learning about your Savior. And watch what God does in your life. Christians, remember, we don't live a blind faith. We have an evidence-based faith. It's built on historical evidence. Never forget that. Be able to use these things to defend your faith and reason. Don't fight and argue. Just reason with people. That's what the New Testament teaches. Reason with people. And do that. I'm going to pray for you pray a blessing over you and then when you leave this way then if you have a physical offering you can drop it in the boxes but let me pray for you God I just pray for all my friends here and at home I just pray God's best in your family and in your life because God wants the best for you he's a loving father he's a good dad he's a functional healthy dad that chooses the best for you and I pray you go close to him. We all do. Within your family, I pray good things. 
We thank you, Jesus, for life. We thank you for your life, the resurrection and the life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen. Amen. Remember, get your kids. Go find that golden egg over there before I find it. God bless you. Go get that. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.